What is up? This is John Michael Banks from the Alpha American Podcast. As always, joining my co-host, Eric Hawthorne. Hey, thank you for joining us. That's right. We got a couple more special guests in the building. I'm joined with uh, Paul Washington. Hey, how you guys doing? Paul Washington. Yeah, it's that time. Okay, Ray, go ahead and introduce yourself too. <laughs> hey, I'm Raymond Habner um, from Springfield, Missouri. Well, from Kansas City, where it's called Springfield, Missouri. That's right, and we are here for part two of our discussion concerning the death of George Floyd, as well as everything going on around the country, a lot of craziness going on. We received so much uh, positive feedback in regards to our uh, stream yesterday, we decided to do a part two. Uh, we got a couple new individuals in the building uh, to talk about this. Uh, so yesterday we talked about a lot of different things, uh, mainly, uh, so let's start off with, with your guys' things, uh, thoughts as to, do, does this feel different to you as opposed to the other situations of... Uh, uh, black men being killed by the police. As does the death feel different? No. Does does the response feel like it is more the, intense? Exactly the response. Uh, I would have to say absolutely. Um, I've been in numerous of these situations, and I've and I've learned to track how things are progressing, and things are happening a lot faster than they have in the past. So yeah, it feels different to me. But it feels familiar all the same. Before we move to Ray, uh, why don't you go into a little bit more in depth about your previous history with other shootings? With police? With the police, yes. Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> nah, um, so I am a community organizer by trade. So I've experienced uh, a number of um, scenarios or cases where I had to go out and advocate for uh, justice for other other people who have been unjustly killed by the police. Uh, I, I was in Ferguson. Um, that was probably that was the first time um, I really spent some some significant time on the ground. Uh, I was in uh, Minnesota also, uh, Jamar Clark, where we occupied the precinct there, and the protesters were shot. And you know, there's there's so many stories behind all of my stories. Uh, in Philando, you know, occupying. Uh, the governor's mansion, and now, you know, occupying for, you know, all intents and purposes, the, the plaza. So, like, I've seen a lot of different things. I have a lot of friends in the movement. I've got a shout-out to my homie Aramis out there. Hey, I see you, King. Ray, what about you? How, how does this feel? Does this feel any different from the from the past situations we've had of unarmed men being shot and killed by the police? Um. Based on what I'm seeing, it's it's a different narrative, same story. They it, it, it's always uh, some somebody who's doing something that's not even a misdemeanor, mm -hmm. and it ends up with a death whenever they can get a guy in the car who's already handcuffed. Right. And then you look at uh, uh, who's that you just mentioned? I'm sorry, Paul Philando. Yeah. Um, with his situation. He, he didn't do anything wrong. It's, it's just it's just always the same narrative. or it, It's always a slightly different narrative, same outcome, same story. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. It's crazy because I was just listening to NPR as I was on the way over here and heard uh, President Trump's address. And he pretty much issued a statement saying that he was going to start enforcing what I call uh, martial law. Anytime you try to bring in the National Guard, anytime, anytime you try to enforce uh, force st- uh, curfews, it, it just gets a little too uh, scary. Like we're forgetting about what these are all for. Like uh, the answer to the situation is calling the military. But uh, I, I did say this was what was going to happen. I did say that watch, he's going to call in the army, he's going to call in the National Guard, because way too many people care about this subject. It, it's definitely a different feeling going on as opposed to the previous protest. People are. But this way- is, I mean, yes and no, because we definitely had the National Guard in, in, in Ferguson. We definitely right. had tanks pull up. Um, we definitely have had, have like militarized our police already. Like excess military equipment from the military gets sold to police departments. And so they got this stuff in the background and they just can't wait to bust it out. True. I mean, in front of the precinct in Minnesota, they put out these mini tanks. I mean, so like, yeah, yeah, like national, the state of emergency, you know, and, and we got to call in the National Guard, but this isn't the first time. I, I say response is much quicker. I, I say for uh, yeah, got a much different dude up there too. True. Uh, I, I'd say the uh, Ferguson protest. It, it took like a week before they actually mobilized and, and got militarized for the law enforcement. This is starting. In the, it's the the protest started a couple of days ago, and now they're starting to already say, "Hey, we got to call in the military." At the uh, Insurrection Act, uh, which was originally done back in the nineteen sixties. Um, during the riots back then is where they have boots on the ground of actual active military officers. And it's it's a little bit different scenario than the National Guard, where the National Guard is your local teacher, your local trash man that, that goes in once or twice uh, a month to do their check-in. And with the insurrec- insur- uh, excuse me, Insurrection Act, that's when they have the full-blown military come out, where it's I think and that's, that's what we got on the ground now. I mean, we got snipers right now. Yeah. yeah. And Trump said if he, he was recommending National Guard to all governors, and if they refuse to take those precautions, he will send in the military. Trump? Okay. So we can we can talk about what he can actually do. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about like what he's going to tell his base he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think those are completely different things. Uh, he, definitely, he definitely can say a lot of things. I don't know if he can actually pull off what he's talking about right now. So you think it's just a bunch of bluster or what? I mean, I think posturing? I think absolutely. I would, I would say a lot of his position, a lot of his power comes from posturing and people believing him. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of what mobilizes his base, though. I mean, a lot of false promises. I mean, you come from Mexico is going to build the wall and now he's the law and order president. But he's always said that he was the law and order president. So now he's trying to, you know, basically bring about that law and order. So is he, you think he's just doing this for, because it's an election year, basically. This is not going to help him. Like, at, mm. the, at, the, at the end of the day, right, you've got governors who have to think about their re-election as mm. well. Right. Like, this is, a, this is not just a federal thing. This is a, a multi 
faceted uh, like approach. Like mayors need to be thinking about their jobs. The governors need to be thinking about their mm-hmm. jobs. The president, for all intents and purposes, his term is over, mm-hmm. right? And so he has to convince people that he has responded appropriately to the people who are going to vote the most. And that's what he's trying to do. Right. But that does not mean everybody underneath him is going to do that. I highly doubt any of the governors who are worried about or concerned with mm-hmm. their reelection are going to follow his instructions on this. I, I, go ahead, Rory. I, I agree with you 100%, but to go back to the uh, bluffing, it, it's actually real scary because as, as president, he sits as chief of our military. So as chief of the military, if he says we're going to do the Insurrection, insurrection Act, then he... He can do that, and, and, and that's the scary part about it. He can. So, I mean... It's, there's still protocols, right? Yeah. Like, So he can do an executive order, right? okay? But the people who really have to put up with this or who really have to deal with this are the people who are going to put their boots on the ground. Right. When I was out there barking at the officers the other day, mm-hmm. I was telling them about what they're, what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Like, you do not get to basically be absolved of your crimes because somebody else told you to. I said, if somebody told me to come down here and spray this whole thing up, would that make me right? And they were like, no. And I said, well, the same thing here. Right. So people are going to, like, the why you see people out here throwing bottles right. is because they figured out, oh, they just doing a job, but their job is to be an asshole or whatever, to carry out an asshole's will. And now they need to understand what the cost is for them. Right. Not their job. This has nothing to do with your job. Mm-hmm. Right. I hope you make money. I hope you buy the house that you want and the car that you want. But if your job is to come in here and do this, mm-hmm. it's going to cost you something. Do you think they understand that depth or do you think they're just, oh, just going oh, over their head? There's, there's absolutely there's absolutely a ton of officers out here who understand that. Like. When they say, like, I'm first off, I don't ever want to look like I'm advocating for the police because I don't like the police because the police have never helped me. Mm -hmm. I've called for help. They've never helped me. So as a structure, as an institution, I do not like the police and I think we should dismantle it. That does not mean that I don't feel for and care about some people who are police officers. That is a choice that they made. And yes, to a certain extent, I can hold them accountable for continuing to make that choice. But like, look. I know why you did this. You tried, like, there's officers who wanted to be good in the hood, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yo, I remember this, that's it. Yo, great, I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, here's the order. If they don't follow orders, they can be charged with a crime. I understand. So, what are the, what is, what is your background uh, interactions with the police that have shaped uh, your perception so far? And then I'm going to start with you, and then I'm actually going to go to Ray. So. Okay, yeah, don't let me overtime. No, no, you're no, you're fine. I just want to see the different perspectives. Yeah, so uh growing up, first time I ever was put in handcuffs, I was probably nine. We was driving to Osage Beach. My mom had a little fade or whatever. She was, you know, rocking a little <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The newly single black woman joined. Right. <laughs> Jada Pickett and set it off. <laughs> yeah, set it off. She had to set it off. Died blind. Police pulled over, thought she was a dude. Me and my brother were sitting in the back seat. They couldn't believe that we wasn't 16. So they, she was like, the dude was like, you got ID? She said, no, nah, they, they 10 and 11 or whatever we was. We was real young. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't believe her. We got pulled out the car, put in handcuffs, and we sat there for a while until she could prove that we were underage. And didn't, like, she had to go and figure out. This is before internet was like, oh, I could go to the Missouri Department of Health and pull up the birth certificates. Mm-hmm. Like, she had mm-hmm. to, like, go through some changes 
to prove I wasn't old enough to have an ID, even though I was in the backseat not driving. So that's my first interaction. The one that really shook me, I was 12. And I had some fireworks. I was off of 57th and Forest, my auntie's house. We used to do barbecues over there every day, every every year for 4th of July. Mm -hmm. Got Literally got rolled up on by the cops. Dude was like, give me your fireworks, such and such. It's illegal to do that. And I was like, ah, I want to go get my dad. He was like, give me your fireworks. I reached for him. He picked me up, threw me to the ground, put me in handcuffs. My little cousin shot up to the house, got all my all my family out the house. So you know how we are. Mm -hmm. It's a barbecue. It's a black right. barbecue. So we mm -hmm. rolled, they rolled down deep. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about 20, right. 30 people coming down. Right. And he let me go. And like that, and it, the, the, the shaking part about that was like not what happened in that moment. But like when I got back to the house, every, like I'm crying. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm sad. I spent my hundred dollars on these fireworks. This dude threw me down, put me in handcuffs. Half the people telling me I should have shut my mouth. Half the people pissed off at the officer. Like I'm, I'm literally in the middle of this thing. I sit down on the couch and every single black man that was in my family at the time. Came up and said, it's all right, man. This is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. It's all right. This is just the way it is. And that pissed me off more than anything else. And I've been fighting this bullshit ever since. Right. You you, you can't catch me without without some, without some something to say. No, I completely understand. I think uh, some of our experiences are, you know, similar. But I did want to shoot over to Ray uh, just because, I mean, the elephant in the room is you white. <laughs> so we see that. And I just wanted to know, are there any different experiences that you've had with the police, positive or negative? Or are they similar to Paul's? Right. So um, let me uh, reflect back to my, my younger years. Whenever mm -hmm. I was maybe 11 or 12, my, I, I was driving with, with my white grandfather, right? Mm -hmm. And he has issues with the vehicle and he pulls off, off the side of the road. I've never seen him get pulled over. But anyways, police pull up, ask them, uh, is there anything we can help you with? What do you need? Do you need access to a phone? And this and that. And then fast forward about a year later, I was with my stepfather figure. It was a, a father figure, just a guy that my mom dated for a long time. Mm -hmm. Black man. Mm -hmm. We get T-boned by somebody running a red light, and the officer comes over, and he's... Have you been drinking? Are you under the influence of drugs? Are you... Uh, Where's the weed at? Uh, <laughs> what, what's in your vehicle? On and on and on. And I'm like, we just got T-boned by somebody who everybody else is already saying has just run a red light. It, it's on uh, 350 Gregory to be exact. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of shaped my experience with the police quite a bit from the two different experiences of Writing with a black man, writing with a white man. Mm -hmm. Then fast forward even more, I go into my teenage years. Me and three of my friends from high school, mm -hmm. we're just leaving the, the, this little party at 16 and up. And I, I skirted my tires as I pulled up to a, a stoplight. And then the, the, the police were, were right there going the opposite direction. This was on uh, 63rd and Raytown Road. Mm -hmm. So then I pulled down Raytown Road, and then the police pull a U-turn and get right behind us. First thing they want to do is check the whole vehicle. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have any calls. They said that, that the reason they pulled me over was because I was uh, uh, 
making noise, whatever ordinance it was for, for, for squealing tires, which was because I pulled up to the stoplight and I stopped too fast. Mm-hmm. I had an old car. I was 16. It was a 79 Fairmont. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't <laughs> lucky it stopped at all. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then going into uh, further relationships in my life, and I, I try to explain to people mm-hmm. that, yes, it's a difference when you get pulled over as just a white man, um, and then compared to if you're even a white man with uh, black people as, as, as writers. And they say, oh, yeah, I had, the, I, had, I had that happen to me whenever I was this age, and I had this and this happen at this age. I was like, no, you, you don't understand. It, it, it's, it's not them asking you two or three questions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, it's, I'm asking questions till it's, yeah. I got you. Yeah, so, so, so it, it, it even goes into to the detail of, uh, oh, it goes into <laughs> the detail of, uh, I got a theory that, that, that I've been trying to tell everybody, it's, if a police officer pulls you over and he asks to search your vehicle, if you say no, now he has a reason for suspicion. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you say no, it should be the end of the story. Mm-hmm. But that is not the situation because once you say no, now it's, oh, you got something to hide. That's suspicion. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm using my rights. Right. Uh, which <clears throat> happens all too often. That, you know, that, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, made me think about both your stories made me think about when I was uh, in high school. That was my first negative interaction with a police officer. Uh, I was eighteen. I was. I think I was seventeen or eighteen, and basically it was an SRO officer. And what we were doing was some sort of uh, school fundraiser. And the school fundraiser was held in the assembly area, which was the field house. And so while there. I was doing crowd control because that was part of my, um, you know, community service for the school for Key Club. And when I'm sitting there doing crowd control, basically the crowd is in front of us and we're the people who are doing crowd control are all standing up against the wall, looking to looking at the back of the heads of the crowd. And so this is about me and four other people. And uh, the officer, she comes by, passes Two people who were doing crowd control and she stops at me and she tells me to sit down. And I asked her, I said, why do I have to sit down? I'm doing crowd control. And she says, because I told you to. I was like, but I'm doing crowd control. I'm going to get docked for my my basically my community service hours for Key Club. And I need that in order to advance on. And she's like, well, I don't care. I told you to sit down. I said, well, I'm not sitting down. And I was like, you pass not one, but two people doing the same exact thing that were white and you stopped at me. I said, why did you stop at me? I said, there's one more person down there doing the same thing, but I don't see you going down there. You're sitting here yelling at me. And I was like, let me find my advisor. She's like, no, you don't need to find your advisor. You need to sit down. And so basically in that moment, I was prepared because my grandfather had told me about stories. My uncles had told me about stories. My, uh, I, he is my stepfather, but I, I I say my father because that that's the man that raised me. So I don't if he's yeah if he ever listens to this, I don't want him to get pissed off. But that is my my father, my father, and he told me the interactions he had with the police. But basically, we had the other people who were standing up had to stick up for me. They had to go get 
his name was Mr. Collins, the advisor, and the advisor had to tell them, no, he's doing crowd control like everybody else who is standing up. The, you know, he's, do, he's doing the same thing as everybody else. Why are you singling them out? And at the time, it was like crazy because I was national, I was the elect to be National Honor Society president as well as the senior class president. And I was involved in all these sort of school activities, but yet I was told to sit down. And it reminds me of when I was younger. My, my father always used to say, you always got to try twice as hard to do something a white person does or whatever. And even though I had the grades, I had the school involvement, et cetera, et cetera, that still didn't matter. She told me to sit my behind down or whatever and Black i ass basically ass. yes basically yes i said so because i said so N-word. like and, and basically you know you buck in power and she didn't like that so you know and then i had to get the school involved i had to you know get my grandfather involved because and now you're being extra <laughs> <laughs> basically i had to write a, a long it's just, okay, I had to write a long letter to the principal, but I don't know if the principal meant it in a bad way. He's like, oh, you write so well. I'm like, what? what? I, I mean, what did you think? <laughs> you think I couldn't uh, form a coherent sentence I about... I appreciate it, but... <laughs> uh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Massa. She has <laughs> said, sit on down, and I didn't uh, understand what my little brain <laughs> But but basically, you know, I I just think about that and how it shaped me going forward. And I and I think that, you know, with all these police shootings and whatnot, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily Trayvon uh, Martin that changed my opinion on it or I mean, really hit home. It wasn't uh, Michael Brown. It was uh, Charles Kinsey. And Charles Kinsey was the gentleman who was. he was a mental health therapist taking care of a 23-year-old autistic, uh, a disabled young man. And the reason why that hit home is because I have a disabled child, okay? I can be out, you know, you know, riding the bike with my son or whatever. Somebody might mistake a sound that he makes or whatever as a cry for help when he he's nonverbal. So he screams and he makes certain utterances to vocal, you know, to communicate. And so somebody could just say, oh, he's hurting that kid or something. And then some police officers can, you know, jump right in. Jump right in. And so now I have a, uh, uh, when we're riding around, I have something for Junior that is a, a belt, a strap that goes across his belt to say, I'm nonverbal. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. You know, I can't signal for help. All that, and it's just like I shouldn't have to go through all this yeah. just to make sure that I'm okay. And I think that's one of the scariest things that that Charles Kinsey thing really, really changed. Because he's lying down on his back, hands up in the air. Yeah, he's literally like falling down on him, trying to like protect him. And right. He still gets shot. And I, I, I just, I, I just, it just amazes me that. For instance, you were talking about Philando Castile. He didn't do anything wrong. He, I, did the officer ask him to reach for his uh, ID or something? There's conflicting stories, but I can tell you this. This is what I know for anybody who has questions about what actually happened. Mm-hmm. I ain't never known a black man to reach for a gun to try to shoot a police officer from a seated position. If you think that's what actually happened, why he had his kid and his girl in the car, then I think you think so badly of black people that you don't use logic. No, he did not do that. That right. does not make sense. It does not make sense. So, 
Did he ask him for his ID? I'm absolutely sure he asked him for mm-hmm. his ID. Yeah. Did he use it as an opportunity to to get hostile and mm-hmm. y'all about to get my shooter nigga credit? Yes, he did. Yeah, I, I, you know, you always get these conflicting reports and like what you and I use as logic, for instance, with the Mike Brown situation where they're like, no, he started running towards uh, the officer. I was like, even while he was being shot, he kept running towards him like he had super Negro strength. 150 feet away. Right. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I just don't understand why white folks, I think it's, you know propaganda we've talked about you know the use of uh, the birth of a, na- a birth of a nation to kind of set that propaganda forth that uh black men are just these incredibly strong brutes or whatever but i'm like it's, it. it's, <laughs> it's just crazy that that same mindset that was in the early 20th century is still prevalent today that somehow you know you know he doesn't feel pain and he's just being sh- you know, the officer is in such fear for his life and he's just running towards him being shot and it just doesn't make sense. And then the crowd is saying, no, this isn't what happened. You know, all these witnesses are saying, no, this didn't happen. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. But the officer, where is he at now? He's living large because he got a book deal or, you know, interviews making hundreds of thousands of dollars now. And that's what I kind of feel was going to happen with, uh, Nah, he's going to jail. You you think he's going to go to jail? <laughs> nah, you don't. He's going to jail. He's going to jail. Too, too much jail. is burned. Because I'm on it. You on it? Okay. On you, it, you. I'm, I'm so sick of this shit, bro. Like we can't let it go. Like at some point, I was like, yo, I'm aging out of this. You know what I'm saying? When Mike Brown happened, mm-hmm. first my daughter was was like in utero. You know what I'm saying? I was scared to go out there. I was like I got all this other responsibility. Right. You know, things about to get real. You know, you was already a father, so you right. knew what. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I was just like, oh, yo, just getting real. But I went anyway. Mm-hmm. Then, moved to Minnesota. Six months in, I'm like, yo, this is way worse than Ferguson. But, like, the news don't say it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, the news, like, the, the like Jamar Clark, like, the whole thing was just terrible. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm like, okay, did my time there. Did my time. Mm-hmm. Got back here, was like, yo, it's time for me to teach the young kids how to do this and do that. Like, I'm trying to help out as much, trying to build as many people as possible, but my boots are still needed on the ground. And it sucks. It freaking sucks. Because it's not like there ain't other people doing it. It's because we just need way more people doing it. So, let me ask you a question. Uh, One thing I've been seeing a lot online is people getting exposed. Like, people who you may not have thought had any kind of racist inclinations are sharing statuses, crimes. Weeping about buildings, but ain't made statuses about the man who got yeah. choked to death. Right. Well, do you yeah. think these people really care more about these buildings and businesses than they do about actual human lives? You want to go, Ray? I'm going to let somebody else go first. Go ahead, Ray. Because <laughs> I mean, I've been seeing his yeah, posts on yeah, Facebook yeah, you, talking you, about you this stuff. So, get him. Get him. So, in my opinion, whenever, whenever you see a... A man, whether he's black, white, brown, green, I don't care. Whenever you see a human being down on the ground and that doesn't anger you, but then you see a multi-trillion dollar company have one building caught on fire. (laughs) But it's Target. you want to throw a hissy fit as if they already don't have tax write-offs, insurance, insurance, and and, and, and all that stacked up, then... It really makes you look at the big picture. Well, if somebody's going to complain about a building more than a life, I mean, how much is a life worth? 
Which then goes into question, are they saying one man's life, my black brother right here, is worth less than my life? Well, shoot, or, obviously it's not worth a $20 bill. I mean, right. you know, a twenty allegedly a counterfeit $20, $20 bill. I mean, shoot, if they'll kill you for that, they'll kill you for anything. Right. Whistling at a white woman, Emmett Till, I mean, my God. Yeah, <laughs> I had a conversation. Not whistling at a white woman because she lied. Sorry. She was a liar. I had a conversation with somebody who, who said he put himself in that predicament. And and I, I went into detail. I said, okay, so have, have you ever received cash from a friend, uh, change from buying gas, change from buying groceries? Mm-hmm. How do you know every bill that you put in your hand is, is a legit dollar bill unless you got your own little marker you try to check everything Mm -hmm. check everything else and then you turn around to another business you walk into that business now they call the police on you now the the police come out and obviously looked aggressive during one of the videos i looked at then they had uh floored uh uh, floyd uh against the wall he seemed to be calm they they were still poking and prodding on him he's making uh Faces of, of anguish and discomfort, yet he's still not retaliating. And then he's taken around the side of the vehicle and then put to the ground and then put a knee on the back of his neck until he no longer has Yeah, we don't need no descriptions about what happened. What happened was a minor incident for a black person is a major incident. Yeah. A mishap, we don't get second chances. Bro, somebody called and said you look suspicious. You are doing something. That is what we get. Yeah. When the police roll up on you and you do anything other than drop to your knees and sucks, uh, uh, you do anything to drop to your knees and like say I surrender, mm-hmm. you guilty. Right. That's how it is out here. Yeah. I, and, and like so many people out here like wondering like why are so many people mad? They like they 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 defending buildings. Like, I, everything you just said just kind of, like, not not against you, but, like, to hear it played out, but to already know the story right. a thousand times. I already knew everything you was about to say. Right. That's what angers me. It's not because you're recounting it. It's because everybody else thinks that that's brand new. It's still some people out here that this shit is right. brand new to. It, it, it's, it's a slightly different narrative, same story, everywhere. It's the narrative, is, the narrative is this. You're dangerous. Mm-hmm. The narrative is this. You're suspicious and guilty. Mm-hmm. You have, if you have never been pulled over by the police and the first question they ask before they ask for your ID is, where the weed at? Mm-hmm. Any weapons in the car? Yeah. Like, first off, officers, I just want to get this out. If there are, and I wanted to use them, they'd be used by now. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if there are, and I don't want to tell you about them, you asking me ain't going to make me tell you about them. It's it's a protocol. It's a system set up to get people into traps. Mm-hmm. It, the, it literally they know that these questions that they're asking are not going to produce the answers that they want. Right. What they want, yeah. however, is enough reasonable doubt or suspicion or or uh, damn near at this point they could just say whatever. They can say they smelt something and you can get in your car, mm-hmm. pull yeah. you out, keep you there for for an hour, hour and a half. Before it's considered, like... Well, even to go further than that, 
they have plenty of videos showing that, that, that police officers say they smell something or see something. And, and, and that video of police officers pulling stuff out of the little pouches and dropping it in, in, in the right. glove compartment <laughs> underneath the seat. <laughs> and you, might, you know how many times them dogs been caught on me? Mm-hmm. And they ain't never found shit because I don't got nothing. Yeah. But the dog alerted. I said, who tell the truth, the dog or you? They give cues. Yeah. They tap yeah. tap the door Bro, and be like. I first had an experience. Me and Monte driving back. Remember, uh, what was that little joint out in Overland Park? Orlando's. Saints. Oh. No, it was Saints? either Orlando's. Or, no, I think it was Orlando's when this happened. Oh. Driving back for Orlando's. That was Tell a minute ago then. That shows yeah, your age. I was still out here. Right. You know what I mean? Hey. Tell light, uh, license plate light out. End up getting this window broke. They searched the whole car. Dog alerted. We on the car. We on the side of the highway. Handcuffed up. And I mean, just an hour, hour and a 15, 20 minutes. And at the end of it, they like, thanks for your cooperation. You let me walk away from all these situations mm-hmm. with that. Like six cars, no charges, no nothing. You just thought I was guilty. And then you want me to see you or somebody in the same uniform working the same job as you and be like, I respect that. (laughs) (laughs) But on the other hand, they see somebody in all red doing a violent crime. The next time they see somebody Somebody in all red, red, you better get violent. Guilty. But, I, I, you know, I always, <laughs> you know, it always interests me when police officers forget that their job is to protect and serve. Right. A lot of times you hear this conflated argument, my job is to get home to my family. That's not your job. I had to do with a gun in my face tell me that. He said, I'm just trying to make it home. I said, why didn't you just stay there? I, and there, and the, the constant narrative is, I typically, you know, feared for my life. I was like, then why are you in this profession? I'm scared of being, a, I'm scared of heights. I'm not going to be a skydiver instructor. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to be a, 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 a carpenter because I know I got to get up on a ladder. Right. So why are you a police officer if you're in constant fear of your life? But you know what? I will say their training makes them do stupid shit. Yeah. Like literally mm-hmm. people go in there who are not. I do, I do think they take some some like people who shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. I think fifty percent, maybe. I don't know the real statistic on that. But if I had to pick, I'd probably wipe out fifty percent of them. Like give another job. Right. But I will say, knowing what their training looks like, y'all been through a process yep. of some sorts in life. Yeah. And you understand what groupthink does and how like they can put you through certain things to make you feel like. The bond that me and you have is is like so much more important than any sort of moral code that the world says it's us against them. In our processes, we do us against them. But it's like five of us. It's like seven of us. It's like eight of us. It's like hundreds of them. So hundreds of us against them mentality literally translates into... I know somebody with the level of resources or the level of know-how to get done what I need to get done. And but because because we we family, right? We family above everybody else. Right. I'm gonna do that for you. That's how you can have cops seeing somebody get strangled on the floor and still not say, "Hey, bro, you killing somebody? Stop." Right. If I saw Eric strangling somebody, I'd be like, "Hey, bro, stop." I'm- Right. You know that accountability <laughs> thing, right? Like in every other movement, right? Like the police don't have a movement to correct themselves. 
right? Like we got the movement against uh, uh, the patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. We got the movie, movement against racism. We got the movement for gender equality. And in, each time, inside of all of those movements is this one thing. Right. People who look like you, you should be helping to police them. White men need to be talking to white men about racism. Uh, uh, like homophobic people need to be talking to other homophobic people about why this is not a good thing to be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and if you're a dude and, and you're like, a dude should tell you, dude, that was that was that was sexist. You shouldn't say that shit. Mm -hmm. Brent says integrity matters. Integrity does matter, yeah. but that's that. I think that's right, relative. Brent. That's a, that's relative, though. Yeah, as a human, integrity does matter. Cause, yeah, because you you dehumanize something. Like, what do you mean? But do you think cops? put themselves above, like on a higher pedestal than regular human beings like I do feel like there's certain cops who feel like they're doing God's work I think all cops put themselves on a I need to make a home status yeah like which you think about it like fight or flight you think about it like like when you wake up in the morning who are you gonna put before you it's really hard to be somebody to put other people in front of you true you got mothers but they put their kids in front of them. You got fathers. They put their kids in front of them. To see some random person and to actually like say, I'm going to take on all this damage mm -hmm. for this person I don't know is a really rare thing to do. We got way too many police and I don't know that many people in the world that do that. Yeah. Except for these kids that I met out here on Saturday <laughs> putting their body on the line. So what do y'all think about the business owners uh, arming up? And saying that they're willing to protect their business with lethal for lethal force. If you think killing somebody is is your next best move, then then expect somebody to think that that's their next best move too. Yeah. That's all I got to say. I I am a legal gun owner. I am a I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm like a gun rights enthusiast or anything like that. But here's the thing: you pick up a firearm, you picked up the firearm. Yeah. Your your building is a building. If you think your building is worth is uh, worth a life, and somebody disagrees with you, I ain't mad at that fight. Yeah, Brian C. Smith says the police have a gang mentality. They are a gang. gang. So j j just to step on that for, for, for just a moment, um, I've seen a few posts of of individuals where they said that they have a police fraternity, which not here in KC, but. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the fraternal order of uh, law enforcement yeah. and shit like that. Well, yeah, unions. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's said or unsaid, there's a lot of police officers that will watch another police officer do something that's unlawful, whether it's search your vehicle, put his knee on your neck, shoot, um, push you down on the ground, no Talk matter shit. what it is. <laughs> they will watch their fellow officer do something and never report anything. And one thing that, that they have to do in order for us to move forward is to break down that fraternity and rebuild another fraternity saying, I'm going to hold you accountable. If, if you decide to use unlawful force, unlawful search, uh, stop and frisk, any of that, I'm going to hold you accountable. Not, not you, but officers. Mm -hmm. No, I get that. Yeah. <clears throat> if they would tear down their fraternity of, I'm not going to snitch on nobody. I'm not going to snitch about, on think another about like police this. officer. Think about like this, okay? okay if we was in, so I, I hear that, and I'm saying I want to think about how big that is to deconstruct. Okay, so we got Alpha, yeah. right? And somebody breaks our stroll line, okay? You might not be the person who want to throw hands, right? 
You're right. like, yo, just get them out of here. You know, you, you cool. You ain't enraged or you ain't on fire about it. Somebody break the stroll line. Right. But my man over here is like, yo, nah, he got to go now. Dude mm-hmm. puts up any bit of resistance. Right. He already ready to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, boy, swings on him. Whose side you going to take? <laughs> you better what have I'm our saying, side, right? No, 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 what I'm saying, what, what I'm saying is, it's not as cut and dry like it's destroying the fraternity. So, so the the fraternity is built on a concept that they are safer by themselves, and us as civilians, like frankly, don't feel safer with more civilians. You'll see. Well, it's, that's not true because, like. The reason why you see the plaza getting destroyed now is because they know it's like, it's 300 other people out here. I got that much more of a chance mm-hmm. to get in the way. Doing right, some right. shit and get in the way. That's what it is. Like, yo, it's, it's about that time. Like, mm-hmm. I can, <laughs> hey. Come up. Yeah, I'm here now. Like, right. it's, we got the numbers. Yeah. As long as the police have the numbers, then we will never destroy their fraternity. Group think, group mentality, the diffusion of responsibility. Right. And also a system that will never say you were wrong. Right. You got an officer that got 18 infractions. Yep. No disciplinary charges. Yep. Maybe two or three disciplinary things. Yep. But me as a social worker, if I had that many Bro. write-ups in that short amount of time, I would have done that for three. One kid caught on you, you'll get suspended for a little while. It's going to be a thorough investigation. Yep. Right. One thing I wanted to talk about uh, was Trump. Uh <laughs> he, he actually, I actually had to cross out. Yeah, yesterday's uh, uh, recording, I actually had to cross out a section because I was like, ah, you know, it was a congratulations because Trump, after one day, he said he was doing a DOJ investigation. And Barack Obama took a couple weeks to do that for uh, Ferguson as well as the Baltimore situation. And he was really slow to uh, come up with anything, anything in regards to... Uh, any kind of federal, federal, or any kind of legal thing going forward, and Trump moved really quick. I don't know if he felt like it was the, it was the just the, the temperature in the room that way. He was like, "Oh, this isn't like the regular situations. Like this is going to pop off, or what?" But then he he, he just went ahead and, and caught everybody thugs and everybody who's protesting is thugs, and you guys dishonoring the memory of uh, George Floyd. First of all, this man's dead. The people who killed him is dishonoring his memory. I'm not laughing at that part. I'm laughing at the fact that we're talking about it. Yeah, it's crazy that Trump, and then as I told y'all on NPR, he was was pretty much making a state of the union where he was talking about uh, curfew. He was talking about calling the National Guard. If the governors don't want to call in the National Guard, he's going to call in the military. And this is like, whoa, you ain't talked about nothing you about to do about these police officers killing people. But you already uh, got the military ready to mobilize. Well, we already know that the president, you know, thinks we're thugs. But it's like on the other side are very fine people as usual. You know, oh. so very fine people. I mean, you're not going to go against them. I, I don't understand that. That it's, it's so many superlatives. Very fine people. He always speaks in this flowery, flowery, like non-educated elementary language yeah and not. he mentioned law and order at least 10 times in this speech and it's like this whole thing is about law and order this is about but police killing understand. people y'all gotta understand okay mm-hmm. in politics it ain't about who's right and who's wrong most of the time mm-hmm. it's about the person who gets their message out to a certain level faster than the other person who raises the most money who can who can like 
corner certain markets. Yeah. It actually has nothing to do with like we 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 should be pissed at all of our politicians, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like absolutely. I, like, I get on like Facebook and people are like, oh, black people are so stupid. They Democrats. They should go Republican. Mm-hmm. And it's like now if you were to say like black people are so stupid, they Democrats, and stop there, I'd be like, eh. <laughs> but they should go Republican. I'm like, oh, you the fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. You're the dumbass. So you're friends with Candace Owens. <laughs> well, like, it's like, you're saying I'm dumb because they do this. They do this over here, mm-hmm. and I should go over here because they do the same shit. Poor white people. Okay. <laughs> I should be doing the same thing on the other side is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So I have no, like, like black people have no space in politics right now. Like, as far as, like, somebody we really can hold on to. Like, there's candidates mm-hmm. that will never get the light of day. You know what I'm saying? We got representatives like in Minnesota. We got Ellison. Like, I really like him. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's people, there's sprinkles. But the, the we don't have a party. No, we don't. And no. so, like, when Trump does this stuff, like, yo, we need to, uh, we about to, we about to throw the military out there. What he's saying is a dog whistle. Right. It's a dog whistle. Please explain to people who might be listening and watching who might not understand the concept of, the, of a dog whistle. So a dog whistle, like, so the concept is a dog whistle is something that you blow that other people can't hear. Mm-hmm. The dogs know to come. Right. The people who are listening for it hear it. No, the people who have the frequency. Just mm-hmm. like whenever he called magma or MAGA to it's the... MAGA. Uh, MAGA. Uh, and, whatever, whatever oh, was, yeah. Well, that was pretty blatant. That was on, that was on <laughs> the that nose. Wasn't, that wasn't even a dog whistle. That was like a oh he he trying to he saying he strapped up. Yeah, but to, to, to go into that even further, he said he didn't know the meaning of it. But it's supposed to be a, 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 a KKK uh, word. Well, if you don't know the meaning of it, but his father was a member of the KKK, how is it that that he was so blind growing up in the household with the. With a father figure that was... A it's kid, all kid, bullshit. Kid he, he can say what he want to say and say, yeah. oh, I didn't know I couldn't right. do that. So he, his his people got the message, the message he's putting out there, and then the people who still want to believe in him, I'm like, eh, let's give him the benefit right. of the doubt. Mm-hmm. So he still controls so much of the narrative, even right. though it's blatant. It's blatant. Right. That's like me punching in your face going like, yo, I didn't know you wouldn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> And you'd be like, uh, I really don't want to fight, so I'm going to take that. Yeah, which is what's happening over and over again whenever he uh, takes money away from the schools, whenever he, uh, I'm sorry. Give out tax breaks to the rich. Rich, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's the main one. I mean, like, not just the rich, the excessively rich. Yeah, the wealthy. <laughs> uh, have you guys heard of the George Floyd Challenge? Uh, I'm going to assume. Hey, I'm just going to assume Go it's some teenagers or who t- who, who put who picture. put your yeah. who put their foot or neck a uh, foot on the neck of somebody, their knee on the neck. I'm just going to assume that's what it is. That's just a guess out of thin air. That's a guess out of sense. That's exactly what it is. Oh, okay. So I'm going to introduce y'all to the Paul Washington challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put my foot on your neck. Let, Paul Let me put my knee on your neck. No, See if seriously. You get up. Seriously. <laughs> seriously. Anybody yeah. want to take that challenge? You know what I'm saying? I'll be out there. I can, I can fly out. You know, flights is cheap right now. You want the challenge? I'm the challenge. The Paul Washington challenge. Let me put my knee on your neck. Now, I, w- I do want to talk about just something that we kind of touched on briefly yesterday. Uh, you 
Paul, you don't seem to be very passive. You don't seem to be very docile. Okay, what, 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 this, this is, this is, uh, I would say this is the James Baldwin, I am not your Negro era of, you know, black people right now. Now, we were talking, a little bit earlier, we were talking off camera about, you know, how, well, actually, I'll go back to yesterday. One of the first things I jumped out and said was that I don't need to be hit over the head with a billy club. I don't need to hold hands singing We Shall Overcome. I don't need to have the dog sicked on me. I don't have, need to have the water hoses turned on me in order for there to be these images, this video, et cetera, et cetera, for white people to feel so bad for me that they feel like they have to come help me because they just feel uh, like an act of charity. You seem to be somebody that's kind of taking things into your own hands. You seem to be following, rather than the MLK approach, more of the quote-unquote militant Malcolm X approach. Yeah, Tom, wait, you don't wait, seem like... Paul, you don't seem like Uncle Tom to me. Go ahead. Get into it. <laughs> but no, but basically... First off, I want, I want to dismantle all of these titles that we got. Uh -huh. True, true. Get into it. I want to dismantle all these titles that we got. Just because somebody's not doing what I'm doing, on like, like I'm willing to go get arrested or whatever, uh -huh. don't, like... I need people who gonna help get me out. Can we talk about that for a second? You did get arrested over there. Man, it. I don't want to talk about it, boy. <laughs> I've worked my whole life not trying to get arrested. You know what I'm saying? And, I mean, we can edit that part out. <laughs> What's up? No, it's just crazy. I agree. Like we both came from the hood, and for us to go our whole lives without getting arrested over some BS in the hood, it's crazy that they, these are the reasons that they do arrest us. Yeah, I'm, this ain't the first time I've been arrested, right? And the whole experience, the other night, I was just trying to show up to be that dude with the milk. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I had a whole gallon. I, I, I bought it from my, like, I was like, y'all need to go down here and make sure everybody cool. I have a certain set of experiences that lends me to be a little calmer than I think people who are just, like, newly infueled with rage. Mm -hmm. But, like, this experience is newer. They don't know what the police trying to do to, like, agitate them. I know what they're doing. It don't agitate me because we can get busy. I know how to get busy, and I know you, I know the number to call to make sure that we get busy tomorrow. Like you right. think this is done tonight? Like I'm different. Like I'm different. I got a squad. Okay, so I'm like I'm gonna go down here. I mean, no sooner than I walk up, banging on the little, the little, the little, uh, the shields. Mm. I'm like, okay, they just tossed the tear gas, and honestly, I had flashbacks. They were banging on their shields? They, a couple of them was. Not as a unit. Like not, a war cry? Like a war? It's, but that's the thing. That's the thing. It's not all of them. Like, I don't think they got the order. Like, they, there is this thing where police be like, oh, it's time to move. And then they're like. <laughs> that's Roman. That's Roman yeah, yeah, no, infantry. <laughs> no, they've done that in the past. Like, I haven't I haven't seen that fully as like a, a, like a, a, like a, a collective. Order. Yeah. But what I do see is other people who think that that's what it should be. And those officers are doing it. They're banging that shit like like it's go time, which drums up adrenaline mm -hmm. and pumps stuff in the other officers. All they need is one third of them to go and do something stupid. That's all they need. Okay, they can shut down our entire process protest because two people throw water bottles, right? Oh, this is no longer a peaceful protest. We're gonna shut it all down, but we can't shut the police down for two bad apples. And the reason is because they have the power to shut it down. Yeah. Now, when people take the power to shut stuff back down, right? Like the protesters, I'm gonna tell you where I'm gonna tell you where they at. Like I got out there, I barked on them, 
I, and I say bark, and when I say bark, I mean I, I, like I talk to him, and I was ready for whatever consequences. That's what I mean by barking. Mm -hmm. I'm here. You gonna see me? Let's let's talk about it. Ten minutes. They let me go. They let they let me rant and rave. And the young kids, the younger generation, they stopped throwing the canisters back. They got them all over it, right in front of me. Though I was like, yo, y'all couldn't make it a little further. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so I'm out here. I'm out here. My eyes burning, bro. They're like, don't wipe, don't wipe, don't wipe. And you shouldn't wipe. If you go down to the protest, don't wipe your eyes. Get you some milk. You know what I'm saying? Milk them back. Like, there's, look it up. You know what I'm saying? PSA. I, I've never used, uh, like, that stuff to, like, from, I just rather burn. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, real quick on that subject, uh, water and uh, baking soda is supposed to be better than milk. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you get your little spray bottle, throw some water in there, put some baking soda in there, shake it up. Um, and, and, look, whatever you can do. And I, I heard that too. Like, I saw tons of people with baking soda out there this time, and I was like, oh, that's new from the last time I was getting busy like this. Like, you know, like, we didn't have baking soda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, was the milk of magnesia, the Maalox, and, and the, you know, like, we was using anything. That's but, my answer. Yeah. It was just, it was just crazy. I don't, I, I didn't use it, but, like, I'm standing in the middle of <laughs> Brent said, let her burn like Usher. <laughs> he would know. Oh. <laughs> 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 Only Brent <laughs> They took me out. I mean, and like the the craziest experience was like okay. So after they they so I'm I'm barking on for like ten minutes or whatever. Then they hit my, they hit this young kid with with four uh, rubber bullets or whatever. And so he like go down. I go over to the side. I'm like they like bring him over here to the cops. Bring now when you here. say kid, how old are you talking about? I was no older than twenty one. But that, uh, I just want to interject. That's crazy how he still sees him as a kid. Mm -hmm. But Tamar Rice, Tamir Rice, was seen as like an adult, and mm -hmm. he was twelve years old. So yeah. it's like we can only tell the difference on how old we are. But you know, I don't know. I guess if they you're outside, us as, uh, adults, yeah, like you're ten years old, yeah. and you know, yeah, I had to get my ID pulled. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Brent said he is he's ready for that Paul Washington challenge. <laughs> okay, bet bet. He got a thick neck though, so. Oh, oh you gotta, wow. He got a thick everything. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Don't come for me, Brent. Don't come for me, Brent. You know how we used to get down, baby. Oh, man. That's this is my goal. Uh, <laughs> Brent used to want to be a police officer, right? Uh, did he? We're waiting, waiting for the response. He was in that Paul academy. Blart? He was in that academy. <laughs> Brent Blart? <laughs> Hey, but did y'all know they had a protest in New Zealand? Yeah, yeah. Really? It was yeah. massive. Yeah. yeah. I'd say it's probably more people than I've seen in the protests in the States. Like, yeah, everybody absolutely. in New Zealand. Absolutely. And you know why? Because people have figured out the more support we get over here, the more we do over here. Yeah. So, the tricky thing about these protests is, like, people think that this, shit, that this stuff is free. Like, it's not free. Like, all the water and all the all this, a lot of stuff get donated. But, like, the time that it takes for, like, multiple organizations to try to coordinate something that holds a thousand people within two days. Like, actually think about this. It is a massive amount of work to do it well. Yeah. Okay? And no matter, and, and by the way, no matter how well you do it, somebody's going to be on the other end saying it could have been better. 
Right. Uh, we should have had this dude, or you didn't get that two dudes that was going to throw the rocks. We can't control everybody at these things. Like, I never even mean to. Um, what Brent saying? <laughs> he said, I did the Citizens Police Academy to learn. <laughs> Ain't the police. Chill. <laughs> I want to see him ride around. I want to see him ride around, bump some NWA. If that's really how he feels. I remember. I remember well, baby. Are you okay, John? He said it's community. He's got tears in his eyes. This is how. Why you okay? He had that response real quick. Why do you have tears in your eyes? Is it that funny? He was like, hey, citizen police, buddy. <laughs> Why are you crushing that uh, man's dream? No, he don't he said Google it. No he stopped. He stopped. And I know why he stopped. <laughs> oh. Hey, my brother became a sheriff's deputy. He's a hood nigga. He's an actual, legitimate, was in some Certified. shit hood nigga. Yeah, and he was just like, you know what? This is a good job. It, it paid pretty good. I'm going to try to do this, get my shit together. And he did it. Nigga turned his life around. And they and they could not wait to have him in their departments. They was like a young black guy who's actually from the city. Yes, and it was like five different departments trying to get him in. Yeah, and so and that, that speaks to another point, right? Like when I was in Minnesota and we was talking about police brutality and all these other things, and we were like, "Why don't the people look like us over here? Right? Where y'all policing it? Hey, y'all don't apply." And so, like that's a that's a very convoluted argument, right? Like there's very there's a whole lot of layers to that. Like one. We, we get records pretty quickly in our lifetimes coming from these neighborhoods, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Like you get put over random bull ass BS and you, you're disqualified. <laughs> right. Okay? Or you already got some, some sort of history and somebody know Whatever. So, like, it is good. I like, I mean, let me phrase this carefully because ultimately I want to destroy, like, dismantle policing as we have it today. Mm-hmm. Start from the beginning. I'm not an advocate for. The slave catchers reinventing themselves. Mm, talk okay. about I'm not, it. I'm not, I'm not an advocate for that. Let's talk about that. Because a lot of people don't understand that a lot of the first police departments in this country were set up specifically to catch slaves. U.S. Marshals were initially set up to catch fugitive slaves across state lines. And that was a lot of, that was the start of a lot of police departments in this country. And it ain't changed. Bro, the <clears throat> model of policing that we adopted we drastically changed like two years after that. It was like, <laughs> it was like, I don't know. We really need to do this. It's very clear. And whether we, lots of people say we've, we have come so far. We've come so far in policing. Like it's not exactly the same. Like, no, we're not catching slaves, but a black man walking his dogs. We should go talk to him about it though. Yeah. I've been pulled over twice walking my dogs. Yeah, well, we didn't get to talk about my first thing. Uh, well, my ho- most horrible encounter with police. You had that day at UMKC? Not at UMKC. I was going to cash my refund check. Oh, oh yeah, money. Oh, that's the oh that, that, yeah, that fucked my whole day up. Yeah, so I was money. going to cash my refund check. All of a sudden, two cop cars pull up in my apartment complex. Guns drawn, telling me get on the ground. It was snow, muddy snow on the ground. That's they, what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They threw me in the ground, messed up my clothes. I had a nice collar collar shirt on and everything. I, I used to try to get fluffy. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, 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 yeah. They put the gun. I had a gun like about six inches from my head while they were yelling at, yelling at me. Where's the knife at? Where's the knife? And I'm like, what the fuck is they talking about? 
Apparently, they got a call that a black man with a black jacket on had a knife in the parking lot of our parking complex. They saw a black man with a black jacket on and said, that's him. I could have got my goddamn head blown off. Just like that. If I would have did one thing wrong besides go to the floor, do not resist, and shut the fuck up, I could have got my head blown off. Shit, even then. Well, next time you need to tell them to check your Ancestry.com DNA (laughs) test. See how I'm... (laughs) Got a lot of European blood in me. I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. I'm one of you. I'm good. I'm good. That's crazy. Nah. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I had guns in my face. Uh, Like, people say, like, oh, you grew up in the hood, da 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 I was like, yo, that's the only person that put a gun in my face was... Hey, hey, you got what you worry, you worry about what you worry about. But yeah, it wasn't until my brother joined the force. He told me like they drill into you like you might not make it home. So, my dean. Oh. Remember my dean? Oh yeah, yeah, Gatlin. <laughs> you gotta say his name. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Gatlin. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Dean. He didn't. Uh, he he actually went through the whole academy, mm-hmm. and it was like, all right, y'all, I'm out. Right. <laughs> Why? You got to talk to that man about that. I mean, it's a lot of crazy. Like, he, they get trained by military personnel. And in the military, my LBJC just got out the military. He'll let you know. They consistently drill into your head. You're, you might not make it home. So you need to treat every situation as if this is your last situation. You're doing everything you can to make it home. And that's what I'm drilling into these young kids head out here. You might not make it home. You need to do everything you can to protect yourself in this situation. And cops don't like that. Police don't like us looking at them as a as a threat. Yeah. If I have my firearm on me when I got arrested, okay, they treat me like my gun is a threat. Absolutely. But You're not their, supposed to be. But their guns are what? Uh, it's there for their protection. Same manufacturer, bro. Probably came off the same line. Right. Mm-hmm. Mine's a little nicer. I admit that. <laughs> I got some nicer stuff. You know, it's cool. Brent said, don't forget Brother Nelson the Secret Service. I still, Elliot moved on and mm-hmm. did other things. He's mm-hmm. in a whole other rank right. than what we're talking about right here. Period, point blank. Elliot was never the dude that was going to stay where where these where we're talking about right now. It's stepping stone. These are, he was never a career cop. Cop. Mm-hmm. Like he, first off, like I, I total respect. And he never treated or acted like such and such. He was like, yo, you can't do this. You can't do this. He, But he de- never disrespected people. I never, as, 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 as his character, he just didn't do that. Which is probably why he moved up so quick. No, he moved up because he knew like that wasn't it for him. Yep. He just had way bigger ambitions. Some people get in these positions of power and that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm about to just ride this wave. Let's let, this. Let, let's talk about that for a while because I do feel like a lot of police officers are on a power kick. Like they are addicted to the power that comes along Don't with being a police. Me. Yeah, I am. I respect my authority. That's like what I was talking about with the uh, female SRO officer in my high school. Yep, like exactly. she didn't want me to question the. The authority, even I, I don't understand why she was so angry that day, but she definitely wanted me to sit down. She didn't want she. I remember vividly what I had on that day. I had a Paul Pierce Celtics jersey on, some some gray sweatpants. I had my 
I know this is sacrilege, but at the time, I had my, I think, Iversons on. Iversons with the Paul Pierce jersey. Ain't that crazy how you just remember? <laughs> and then everything? I had, and then I had a headband on too, I a white head. I remember most yeah. of my situation. I remember like when I got thrown in the in the dirty snow. I was wearing a green button up shirt with my express jeans. On. I just was like, I don't look like a hood nigga right now. Why the fuck are you treating me like this? It's probably. I think it's probably because it's like such a you know nowadays because we're more versed we see that it's a traumatic experience right we're willing to admit that that was a traumatic experience so we probably remember the smell what was going on you know the temperature in the room oh, stuff that's like crazy that. you mentioned it was, you're right like, what you I, can't re- I can't damn near remember none of the days my wife want me to remember <laughs> <laughs> she, can ask me, she can ask me tomorrow what she had on today and i couldn't tell you right. but i can tell you i, can, I literally can't tell you what I, how many times I had to process, like, what made him think I was this? Mm-hmm. I had on this. I had on this. I had to do that several times. So that's why I remember. Because I played that outfit back in my head, like, a hundred times. Like, what made you think that it was this? That's how I felt, too. Because I was just like, I don't what remember me? every detail of that day. I'm trying not to be. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's crazy because when you grow up with the, in these environments, you, you grow up with a certain outlook on things. Uh, like, the police are, are bad people automatically. They're there. They're, they're I never there thought that. I really, I never grew up thinking the police were bad people. I didn't realize that, that the police and what they represent and what they were doing. Mike Will in the house. What's up with it? was it? bad until I experienced it. What's up, boy? What's up, bro? Get the, <laughs> shit. You know what I'm saying? What's up? Go ahead, Mike. Can you get my seat? Midwest Sloan. Right here. You heard me. Midwest Sloan Tim all day. <laughs> coming from the heart so all this all this tragedy and this trauma that's going on you know we got to release some kind of way you know even though i'm not uh, i'm not the one out here riding or looting but i feel the anger and the pain so i just put it to put it to words you know that's that's my way of getting stuff out yeah like and so, so let's talk about that like i think we skimmed over that just a little bit but like folks who are more concerned about the property damage and than life loss like i want to explain something to y'all like uh especially to this is just like a psa for people on my facebook or right. any other platform that i'm on i don't give a damn i don't give a damn about the stores at the plaza i don't give a damn about uh the mannequins that got destroyed I don't have the privilege or the luxury of being able to think about materialistic things before my life. And because I see myself in George Floyd, because I see myself in George Floyd and not in uh, the plaza, I will only respect and only advocate for that. I'm not saying that people should be out there doing that. But what I'm saying is, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about black lives not mattering to y'all. And now we're gonna talk about property. And that's and that's one of the things that I hate most about this narrative. It's a propaganda because, uh, and I was just watching, I watching social media. All these looting is going on. It's not even people from the protest. Not even it's people right. outside coming in. And it's a lot of white folks, man. Yeah. And it's people that is trying to. I think people are being paid to do so, and their opportunities trying to take the narrative. And spin it the way that they want to, just so um, they can like the how, how they did Kaepernick. I think we went over this. I think I spoke about this last time. How they treated Kaepernick, where it was, it was never. It was all about the police brutality, but they switched it and started talking about how it was the flag. It was never about a flag. He was never disrespecting the flag. 
he was protesting peacefully uh, uh, like he was supposed to, and then they took it and ran with it, and they manipulation, I mean, that's, man. That's that's the game plan. It's never about black lives. The moment you start talking about black lives, first off, black men in this country have never been afforded the right to be a victim. It don't matter what happened to you, you did something to cause it to yourself. Right. There's not a, a, a single class of person in this country other than black men that that's true <clears> for. See... I made a post just the other day. It said how to identify a racist. A racist, whenever whenever an officer kills a black man, a racist will always say, oh, well, what did he do to get to that position? Mm. They will always say that. And when you look at the full narrative, according to the description of an officer's duty, it's never to execute. So it doesn't matter what he has done, whether it's passed a $10 bill reaching his back pocket or no, no matter until what you is, add in the fact that I can say I can actually place value on my own life so the reason like this is like poetic in a lot of ways black men cannot be victims because black because white men can just say my, I thought my life was more important that's what yeah. I fear for my life means very true I thought my life was more important than figuring out what the hell was actually going on I like that. I like that point Ray brought up because if I'm a man and I hear a woman got slapped by a boyfriend, and the first thing out of my mouth is, "What did she do?" They'd be like, <laughs> "Yo, you're sexist. Yeah. You're you're misogynistic. You're you're not you know you're against women." But if a, if a white person says that to to the situation where a black man gets caught killed by a cop. That's a rational question. Well, that's because people believe in the police. They don't believe. They don't believe. First off, they believe women. Like, okay, so that's an interesting thought. Do you I think mean, people believe in black people? No, no. no. You, you as a black man, you as a black man have to walk around here knowing that you have no backup. You have no backup from black men. You have no backup backup from 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 cops. You have no backups from society in general. Yeah, you got personal, like, like not as monoliths, right? Like, I'm not saying you don't have like. People who are going to show up for you, right? right? And I hope you do, because we all need that. But in general, like, there's no black man movement to support other black men in these times. Like, most of this movement is being led and fed by black women who are tired and fed up, right? So, like, if you look at, like, the protests that are happening across the country, the people on the front lines are black women. There are lots of black men there, don't get me wrong. But the people who are, organizers, like... Organizers. Uh, organizers, and that's another thing. In my field... Like, I'm, I'm an anomaly. There's not a whole bunch of black male organizers. Mm-hmm. And people will say, oh, it's because black men don't care. No, it's not that. It's because y'all also, like, in my field, we actually discriminate against black males organizing because, oh, it, it feels some kind of way for some people. Right. And so they don't like that, and they got the power, so they make sure that they get it out of there. And so that's, that is what it is. And so, like, our whole thing as, as, a, as a country right now, it's like we have to accept, like, this hurts to say this, like, Black men can be victims. Isn't something I feel like I should have to say. Right. And it's not something I want to say because I don't want to be a victim. Because we're scary. But we're not. We're a threat. People we're view us as scary. People view us as like the alpha males. Like we are the end all be all of the strong, masculine. Uh, all the negative figure. parts of it though. Yeah, the negative yeah. parts of it, but it's still masculinity, unfortunately. Toxic masculinity. But when they think of a strong, 
headstrong man who can take care of himself is a is a black man. No, when they think of physically strong and can kill me, they think of black men. You're like when Darren Wilson described Mike Brown. I'm not saying it's right. What I'm saying, I'm saying is that's what the, the I'm saying the words he actually used when he described Mike Brown was monster. He was like a monster. You got this kid, right? On the outside of a car, you've got the gun, you put up on him, you had all the positions of power, and now all of a sudden he's a monster. What is that is dog whistles. Like this this he knows what to do. He's Becky. Mm-hmm. He's Becky at the park. I know what to say to make people believe that it was like because because talk about the, the white woman who caught the cops on a black man for bird watching. Yeah, yeah. I'm three hundred kicked their ass. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's yeah. talk about white people weaponizing their whiteness because mm-hmm. that situation could have got any of us killed. Mm-hmm. Not that's, me. That's attempted murder. Not me and not him because you hear the rest of the report. Neither were on scene when the police showed up. He was like, "All right, y'all." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He knew what it was. I mean, we don't we don't have the luxury of defending ourselves. <laughs> right. So and, and that's what's that's what's pretty sad about the whole situation. I mean, once we start defending ourselves or attempting to defend ourselves, we are at risk of being, you know, killed or being uh ostracized. It's like we're just an automatic jail. threat. Jail. Any of that. You know what I'm saying? The moment like the 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 guy in that specific example, I mean, the guy was nowhere near her. I mean, he didn't even sound like a threat. And then, like, I was talking to someone, they didn't even see the video. They was just hearing her, and they felt like that lady was being like tortured. So it was like, you know, people, certain people know what to say and what to do to automatically portray black men as uh, less than, and then we are looked and viewed as objects to be. You know, just, you know, shot dead. Yeah. Or, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Because we're not looked at as human beings. We're looked at as animals. Yeah. Hey, uh, let me piggyback on that just a second. Um, okay, so I worked with homeless youth and foster youth for a little over two years. And although I told them they don't need to do my instructions that I gave them, because most of the youth that I worked with were black. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, if you get pulled over in a vehicle, you are not required to do this, but I recommend that you do it. Is before the police officer gets to your door, you have your ID and your insurance on the dash and your hands on the wheel. They should not have to do that. But I would rather them be going the extra mile just in case the police officer that does pull them over. Yeah. Has an itchy finger. That is the dilemma of being black and being uh, what y'all call not so passive. So, like, I have to, I have to start to consider, like, what am I actually gonna teach my children? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got two boys. One's rambunctious. One's pretty cautious. I got, a, I got a daughter, super smart. She's gonna question. Uh, she's, I would say, she's like most like what I feel like I was. Uh, question authority, real easy, mm-hmm. right? And like. We know how, how the society treats women and like, oh, they're powerless. Like, th- th- there's a whole lot of things that go into that. And so it's like, do I teach my children to do that? Like, I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, I- see, my, my thing is, I would rather be judged by 12 than be carried by six. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, so, his, that's if I think here. I'm going to get carried by six. I don't I mean, know, because I put some other stuff in my kids too. Like, everybody, like, y'all, like, people are thinking, like, 
a fight against the system is is an automatic L. Okay. It's not. It's not. And I and I tell you, things feel a lot different when you apply a lot more pressure. I'm not saying nobody should be out here hurting police officers or anything like that. But I'm telling you, when pressure rises, people have to make choices for themselves. You can't hide behind the, the department and say, like, oh, I was just doing my job. I had a van, the van driver who drove me to jail. Let us sit in that van for two and a half hours. And then I was like, all right, I'm about to get on you. Timothy is his name, okay? So Tim wanted to pass off all of the responsibility the whole night. What are my charges? What am I here for? What do you want me to do? Why am I still here? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't book you. I'm just the van driver. I said, why don't you work for the Metro? Why don't you work for a taxi company? Right, right. Why don't you, if you, if the only thing you're here to do is your job, which is this one or two things, it ain't justice. It ain't peace. It ain't, it ain't helping. What are you here for? He got in the van and he drove us to the jail. Right. He tried me. He tried to argue. He said, you complain more than even the people with mental issues. I said, that's messed up. But yeah, you complaining too. And you getting paid. I'm going to pay to get out. <laughs> I said, I got something to complain about right now. And uh, my dean daughter, uh, you remember uh, Soror Andrea? Yeah. Her daughter was with us. Really? She got thrown in the back of that van. How does Andrea's daughter now? Man, young, bro. Like 19, 18. 18, 19. Mm-hmm. But, God, we old. Yo. Shit, nah, you, you old, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you only, you only old if you think about talking to somebody like yeah. that. Andrea's daughter is old enough to be arrested and thrown in a cop car. I'm like, yeah, bro. Well, shoot. She could be 12 and old she enough to arrest She was a baby. So, like, um, as you guys were saying, and then, um, Ray, you brought up, you know, how it's like a, it's, um, what is it, what is it, a double standard that we're living in. Yes, it is good to teach, and we should know, we should be able to, we should have the knowledge of both. We should be aware of our surroundings and, um, know what to do, but also we shouldn't be afraid to speak our mind. You know, yes, uh, some people are, and I don't hold it against you. You know, everybody should have the choice to do what they please. But we should also be comfortable and be okay with, hey, you know, somebody has to do it. Somebody has to have that voice. Somebody has to carry that burden. If it's me, if it's not me, then who? If it's not now, then when? Right. So, I mean, yeah, we have to live by that. You know, somebody has to be that the example. Mike, you hear Trump called in the National Guard? I did not hear of such things. Yeah, he's called in the National Guard. He's enforcing the National Court curfew. So he can stop the stop the protest. I don't think that's gonna happen. You know, I mean, laws were meant to be broken. Oh, and if they don't enforce national uh, the national guard, <laughs> then he's gonna call in the military. It's more of us than them. They got better guns, do they? I, I mean. <laughs> 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 My little 22 ain't going to do nothing. <laughs> no, I'm not, and, and not. I don't say that to be inflammatory, but like the whole idea is that we're thinking that just because a bunch of people who work in the same building get the order to kill civilians that they're going to do it. I actually have a little bit more hope that, and, gonna stand up that, and say no. that people are going to mm-hmm. be like, I just rather t- I at, what, at some point, you're going to want to just quit your job. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, like you know what? At some point, like yo, bro, you know 
homicide wasn't in the job description. <laughs> like, no, I, I think I'm gonna dip out here. Yeah. You mean these twelve year olds? Good. Yeah. Like at some point, we gotta hit. Like I'm and I'm not advocating for like it come to that because like. But here's a, and I just want to be clear. If it come to that, it come to that with me. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I, my, I, my legs don't work as fast. I, I ran, I ran the 21, 200 back in the day. Yeah. I ain't that fast no more. Mm-hmm. No, I'm here. I hear you, man. And yeah, with that, I'll be saying it's, we just gonna have to be a collective, a collective. And I don't want, not in the word I want to use retaliate, but we just gonna have to stand for something. Something I'm gonna talk about. Why is it that you think New Zealand had a massive protest, but certain cities in the United States have not yet. <laughs> this is in the United States? But New Zealand, it's like out of the way. It's not like one of the places you think of when you think of like, oh, they're advocates for, you know, black culture. I think they have a, I, have, I think New Zealand has an agenda with, with the laws and what they're trying to promote is like better than the United States. Well, they have, yeah, a, they have a big minority population with the Maori people, but it, it still has no connection to the African American race. So for them to be like, we protesting. I mean, if you, I mean, look, let's be real. The the protests that are going on is highly populated African American communities and stuff. So they're not gonna if if it's not about them in certain areas, why are they going to care? They don't they don't serve a are purpose. Are you talking about the United States? Thank you all for everybody who stopped by on the stream and watching, rebranding, relaunching, uh, under a new name. Thank you all once again for joining us. Uh, this is John Michael Banks from the Alpha American Podcast. You all be safe out there. Y'all stay blessed. Thank you.